Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Extraneous, the podcast that goes deep on the stories you love and comes back with a little something extra. Leah and Takia rewatched all of Supernatural and gave you their breakdown and are currently doing recaps of Supernatural's final season, which is on Mondays. And hosts Melissa and Will are doing a His Dark Materials reread in comparison to the upcoming His Dark Materials TV show on HBO. And this is on Thursdays, so check them out on Mondays and Thursdays. Tune in for recaps, the most extra award, and general good nerdy times. Follow Extraneous at ExtraneousPod on Twitter and at Extraneous.Pod on Instagram, Facebook. And you can also find them on MischiefMedia.com for more. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 66, and we're recording on November 1st. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with guest host Liberty Hardy, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we get to talk about shapeshifters, which I'm excited about, but I only thought about werewolves literally. It's when we true. Talk about that. <laughs> I guess a lot of things that could be considered shapeshifters that we haven't, like vampires, I guess. Oh, yeah. I guess vampires could be because, I mean, they have to hide their fangs somewhere. That's part of shapeshifting, right? Bats. Oh, they turn into bats and wolves yeah. sometimes as well. I think when we were brainstorming this, we're so used to, like, vampires and werewolves in stories that we weren't, like, even considering them, except then I finally did. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, we were just like... Like, other things turn into other things, like, you know, know. monsters and toasters and stuff, like, so. Eh. Yeah, I was definitely trying to go for, like, aliens, because I thought that would be the easiest way to approach it, but I'm shocked at how few alien shapeshifters I've read or have been able to come across, so. But, chances are, we found some things to talk about, because we're here today, <laughs> It's true, yeah. <laughs> and we're we're actually going to talk about our science fiction and fantasy picks. But before we start talking about all the things, I wanted to send out a reminder to everyone not to forget to send in your questions for our holiday show, which is coming up soon. It'll be airing in late November. So if you have a question, if you want to figure out like what is the best science fiction or fantasy book to give to that person in your life who is a fan, definitely reach out to us at sffia at bookriot.com and send us your questions. We will try to answer each and every one of them. And Liberty and I are going to talk about some of our favorite science fiction and fantasy tropes. But before we do, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is the audiobook of The Name of All Things by Jen Lyons, which is now available from Macmillan Audio. 
And in the name of all things, we meet Kieran Demon, who's a wanted man. He's been on the run from the wrath of an empire. In his attempt to escape, he crosses paths with Janelle Theranon, a mysterious Jorites woman. Janelle's plea for help pits Kieran against all manner of dangers, including Kieran's old enemy, the wizard Raylos Var. Janelle believes that Raylos Var possesses one of the most powerful artifacts in the world, the cornerstone called the name of all things. If so, there may be nothing that can stop Raylos Var from getting what he wants. And what he wants is Kieran Demon. So The Name of All Things is the second book in the Chorus of Dragons series. It's a follow-up to The Ruin of Kings. And the audiobook is narrated by a powerhouse team of narrators, including Saskia Marleveld, Dan Bittner, and Lauren Fortgang. If you're an audiobook listener, you might recognize those names. And there was also a process by which Jen Lyons sat in on nearly every day of the audiobook recording to help the team of narrators nail all of the complicated pronunciations, which is kind of cool and a lot of work, I imagine. <laughs> so if you want to hear the follow-up to the story Lev Grossman called Everything Epic Fantasy Should Be, you should definitely download The Name of All Things today wherever audiobooks are sold. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. All right, so we're skipping news today. Jen and I will certainly catch up on all the newsy stuff um, for the next episode because I wanted to talk to Liberty about some science fiction and fantasy tropes that are your favorite because I don't really get to talk about science fiction and fantasy with you that much. This was a really hard question. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. I always ask these questions and I think that like, oh, of course it's like, it's going to come to everybody so easily. We read so much and we think about what we're reading, but do we really think about it on such a broad and selective level? So I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just, I like everything. So I was, I started to make a list and then it was super long you know, I like the things that you mark down, uh, you know, so there's all kinds of good stuff to talk about. There is. Uh, well, I can tell you about one of mine, which I think that just because I've been reading these books so much lately, I just happened to know that this is something, I don't know if it's just for now or I've always looked for these books, but found families and unlikely friendships are really my jam because I just feel like there's something really satisfying about either um, a character that seems to stumble into the knowledge that there's this team of people, presumably with different but somewhat at least complementary skill sets on this journey with them. And I just think you know there's going to be discord along the way, there's going to be tension, Maybe relationships will change as they do in life, but you know, or maybe you desperately hope that they're going to stick it out because their bond is invaluable. And I think in science fiction and fantasy in particular, the stakes are usually pretty high. So it tends to be of paramount importance that they work out their issues and combine forces and save the day. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it depends on what you're reading. Uh, but I think this is why I'm always gushing about things, books like 
The Wayward Children series by Shauna McGuire because these books are so good at that found family feeling, especially the first book, which is why I got into reading the entire series. Actually, I haven't read the last book, so scratch that, but I'm sure it's as amazing. And the same goes for C.B. Lee's Sidekick Squad series, which I was just talking about on a recent episode and Becky Chambers' Wayfarers series, which I think Jen and I forced ourselves to stop talking about after somebody wrote in about how much we talked about it. So I don't know, there's just something amazing about that found family feeling. And I think that there are a lot of us out there who really like that because I hear that question come up a lot. You're absolutely correct. Um, you know, that it's also like that ragtag motley crew, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, but, uh, I don't think I'm giving away any state secrets and if I am, then they will just cut this part out anyway. So, um, but in doing our, uh, TBR subscription service that we offer at Book Riot, uh, we ask people what they would like to read more of and the genre that people mention the most often is science fiction and the trope I would say people mention most often is found family. That seems to be like a really big one. And I don't, like you were saying, I don't know if it's like for right now, it's what people are into or if it's going to become more popular. Um, but that is definitely, you're not wrong. People ask it all the time. Um, and it's, it's great. Did, did you read Chilling Effect? I haven't. Oh, that's, that's another great one. It's, it's got that kind of like firefly sort of feeling. Um, you know, like everybody's a family. They've been through some stuff together. Uh, and, and I love found family books, you know, as someone who is not... Even though I am a, a cancer, not very family oriented at all. Um, so I love found families. Yeah, part of me wonders this is c- me completely without any sort of data theorizing about why people are so into found families right now. I wonder if it is because people are feeling like a sort of disconnect from actual like IRL people. Because, you know, we're all, we all have our friends and things on social media and online, but there's this idea, it almost seems like something of the past to just be with a bunch of people, just be kind of stuck in physical space with them and just have to like sort things out in person and have those bonds created in person. I wonder if that's something to do with it. Yeah. And it's also more acceptable now to realize that. Sometimes your actual family stinks. So you can make your own family. (laughs) (laughs) That's really true. It is. That's uh, that's a fact. It is some sometimes when I'm reading these books, it does feel like it's like a holiday dinner with the family, but on an epic (laughs) scale, which would be a nice thing. But um, (laughs) uh, the other one, unless you want to interject with, something from oh, your um, million-long list. Okay. Yeah, my lists are super long. You know, I like monsters of all kinds. Um, so, like, The Descent of Monsters by J.Y. Yang. There is a pretty scary monster in that. Um, and then The um, Sleeping Giant you know, is a great one, you know, where they find the big silver hand in the ground. And I don't want to say any more because I'll spoil it. Um but like all like all kinds of different like giant creatures. But it's it's strange to me because so many of the tropes that I love in books, 
I don't have a lot of patience for in movies. Like, I'm not interested in, like, I didn't love Pacific Rim. I don't dig Godzilla, you know. But in books, I'm like, yes! I love this. Monsters. Do you think it has to be a certain type of monster? Because I am also really not into Godzilla. And I thought Pacific Rim was okay, like, as a sort of popcorn movie. But I literally never thought about it again after I finished watching it. But I wonder if it's, like, certain types of monsters. Because I, I love monsters, too. I don't... I like kind of... I like complicated monsters Mm -hmm. i guess i've been meaning also to read what i do not know how to pronounce one part of the monster of eldenhaven that's right i think okay okay (laughs) i literally looked at this title i thought you were gonna say i thought you were gonna do that it's jennifer giesbrecht um oh okay oh yeah i didn't even know the author's name so thank you for pronouncing that for me because i would have loved that (laughs) those are more like human monsters yeah yes and maybe that's what i like a Mm. little bit more than i like creatures as well but it definitely depends on the type of creature like the shape of water talking about movies again Mm -hmm. was really cool like i liked that type of creature but i don't know i guess it's the way you tell the story with whatever the monster is which I guess makes a lot of sense for anything when you're reading. So yeah, maybe I should have said creatures. You're right because most humans are monsters anyway. Yes. So yes, they are. So I guess creatures. Um, creatures, but only in books. Although I do like the bunnies in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Those are some scary like monsters. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever have a pet bunny because of that, but. Uh, well, that kind of goes with the other trope I really like, which is villainous types. And maybe that's why I like these human monster type characters as well. Mm-hmm. But it, I guess it doesn't even have to be with this specific trope. It doesn't even have to be somebody who is physically monstrous in any way. Just like I like the villainous type as the main character which doesn't come along that often, at least not in the books that I've read. I've come across a few instances of this where it was done in a way I really enjoyed because, I mean, the anti-hero is nothing new. But for instance, I really liked Forest of a Thousand Lanterns by Julie C. Dow, which gave me that trope. And I guess there's a certain level of risk to doing this, like giving us an unlikable character you can't stop reading about. And for me, I mostly like, you know, a straight-laced person. I've definitely lived most of my life by the rules, and I think maybe that's why I like to read about characters who are, to a degree at least, ambivalent about ethics and who veer from the heroic path in in the best case, for reasons that make them complicated in a way that makes you desperate to understand why on earth or elsewhere they're doing what they're doing. And Jen was just talking about The Poppy War by um, R.F. Kuang. And I have to go read that series now because it sounds like it has that same vibe of the character doing really not great things that make you dislike them in a lot of ways, but also makes it impossible to stop following their trajectory. And I think Holly Black is another uh, writer who's great at this sort of 
ruthless main character, especially in the Folk of the Air series, which which I've talked about in the past. And I don't know, I guess I'm always looking for this sort of ambivalent kind of crummy hero <laughs> for a break from, you know, the kind-hearted, well-meaning hero. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I love them too. And I'd be more likely to follow them into fairyland or space or whatever, obviously. But I just like to think of books featuring villainous main characters as sort of like, if we're thinking about in culinary terms, which is how I think about everything, as this sort of shock of acid that makes a personal library rich in heroism more complex and balanced. Especially since I love to read like, you know, epic fantasy and all that stuff. I think human monsters can also be more appealing because you don't have to suspend your disbelief as much when yeah. you read about them. Like if they're like, you know, 70 feet tall and have tentacles and they're trying to get you to believe that like this creature, you know, actually is like roaming around the city and stuff. It's much easier when it's just like a human monster to imagine that. Um, and they are more, they are more fun than like the kind hearted, you know, good natured hero. Well, in with well intentions, good intentions. I can't talk today. Um, but I'm going to mention this, and it's funny because now I see that it's the next sponsor, and uh, we'll get back to it. But, like, um, Fate of the Fallen by Cal Cade is coming out. And that's actually, like, a, a fantasy novel about the chosen one. Like, say, like, you know, Buffy, like, this this character has been chosen to save the world. But, like, what happens if they don't? You know, like, what happens if they fail? Which is not something that is explored very often. But we'll hear more about that in a little bit. Um but I do love that book, and I'm excited that they're a sponsor. Uh, uh, getting off track. Um, but villainous main characters, uh, I really like uh, Soon I Will Be Invincible by Austin Grossman, which is, like, about Dr. Impossible. He's a, you know, villainous superhero, and it's from his it's from his point of view. Um, it's really fun. And, you know, he also wrote the... Oh, goodness, what was it called? Um, he also wrote the one about... Richard Nixon being a monster hunter, like, fighting crooked. There we go. About fighting, like, ancient evil. Like, and that's, like, why he did all the things he did. You know, so he took, like, an unlikable character and, uh, you know, gave him, like, this heroic journey, you know, which is interesting. Um, So, I I like so many things. I Um, know. I know. It's really hard. It's like choosing your favorite cat. Oh, yeah. No, I don't do that. Um, another another trope that I'm a big fan of is um, this is why humans suck. <laughs> Basically, like uh, for instance, I just read uh, Sisters of the Vast Black, which is like nuns in space, and I mean there are a lot of these books, like why we need to leave the planet books, you know, because we really royally messed it up, um, and that's like one example of that. You know, Earth is like old Earth now. There's a lot of books like that where we've just completely ruined the planet and so we have to leave and i really enjoy those books um i'm trying to think what else i read recently oh once in future uh that ya novel about like king arthur being reincarnated um i really love that one like she goes back to old earth and you know finds out that she's king arthur now and merlin is a, a surly teenager because he is aging backwards and i love stuff like that um but yeah generally just like we've ruined things we stink. <laughs> I think we can put all of our tropes under the banner of humans are terrible. Yeah. Maybe not so much. <laughs> Maybe not so much the found family, but I'm sure there's a rotten egg in every found family. So. 
It's true. Also, trade and like you know, traitors and you know, backstabbers and you know, it's in every family. So, mm-hmm. um, I could keep going. You want me to keep going? Um, if you want to tell us one more before our sponsor, since you have so many, <laughs> feel free to. Well, another one that I, I really enjoy, and I guess that this might fall under like portal fantasy. But yeah, I, whether doors are involved or not, it's I kind of enjoy the ones where you find out that there's another world somewhere, you know, or like the main character finds out, you know, whether it's like Gregory the Overlord, the Overlander. Greg, oh my goodness, I can't remember the name of it. The Suzanne Collins that came up before the Hunger Games. Gregory the Overlander. There we go. Um, he finds out there's a hole behind his, you know, washing machine, and he falls down in the tunnel with his little sister. Um, and you know, there are ten thousand. Doors of January, which just came out. Um, just, like, finding out, you know... And then the um, uh, Shannon McGuire series that you were just discussing. Like, doors everywhere. Uh, I just... I really like doors, I guess. And But, like, not just doors. Like, you know, whatever you fall into. Um, you know, like, the Old Town Road video. You know, there's a portal there. Um, you know, like, anything. Like, I like that stuff. Where it's like, I am now in a world that I am not familiar with. However... Like, I, here, here I go again with this, but I don't enjoy it as much in movies and TV, especially, like, let's say, oh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where oh. no one seems to think that they look that out of place. You know, like, I hate it when, like, you're watching a TV show and they time travel and no one seems to be all that concerned about why they have these weird outfits on. Um, you know, sometimes in time travel or, like, in, in portal fantasies, they change clothes to try and fit in. You know, if they can. And that's great. But, like, when they get there and they're like, what is... Like, no one notices that they're, like, wearing vests and jorts and, like, you know. It's like, come on. I guess I need a a lot of, like... I need, like, a lot of realism in my fantasy, I guess. (laughs) Okay, well, that... uh, See, I I give Bill and Ted a pass because it's just ridiculous everything about that is so ridiculous but i totally that i that would not fly in a book for me Mm -hmm. at all so i absolutely get that and i really like portal fantasy and portal anything too i think probably because and i i'm sure there are other people out there like this but when i was younger i was always waiting to like find that little opening, the little crawl space or whatever that would take me to the fantasy world. And I think to see that realized in a book is so, it just like, it it sparks that childhood sense of wonder in me. And I'm pretty, I'm, I'm sure that's one of the reasons why these books are doing so well and why I enjoy reading all of them i haven't read the Ten Thousand Doors of january yet unfortunately i've had it on my shelf but i feel like it's one of those books where it's so popular and so buzzy i'm kind of afraid to get into it all the way oh no you should definitely and you, i know and you should also check out the new aaron morgenstern the starless sea yeah the starless sea yeah which is out and it has some you know portals and doors which is great yeah, also a big, buzzy, high-expectation book. But I will definitely read those two because I love a portal. I really do. Um, okay, so before we start talking about shapeshifters, which is the actual trope we are going to be discussing today, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, which, as Liberty mentioned, is... 
the fate of the is fate of the fallen and it's the audiobook of the fate of the fallen i keep saying the fate of the fallen it's fate of the fallen by calcade coming soon as well from macmillan audio so everyone loves matthias when he discovers it's his destiny to save the world he dives in head first pulling his best friend aslo along with him however saving the world isn't as easy as it sounds the going gets rough and folks start to believe their best chance for survival is to surrender to the force of forces of evil which isn't how the prophecy goes as the list of allies grows thin and the friends find themselves staring death in the face they must decide how to become the heroes they were destined to be or failing that how to survive so as liberty was mentioning before which i i did not realize necessarily but i read a little bit more about this book and it is described as the question it poses is what if Frodo got assassinated by Sauron and Sam had to finish the quest and it says the fate of, fate of the fallen is that story and Calcade is the best-selling author of the self-published King's Dark Tidings series. The audiobook is narrated by Nick Podell who is also the fan fa favorite narrator of Kelcade's previous series. So if you love anti-heroes, <laughs> action-packed epic fantasies, and a whole lot of tropes subverting, you'll love this audiobook. So basically everything we were talking about before, if you love any of that stuff, you will probably love this audiobook. And again, that was Fate of the Fallen by Kelcade, which is from Macmillan Audio. Thank you for sponsoring this show. It's definitely, like, more about the Willows and Xanders than the Buffies. That's probably information that is very valuable to our listeners. That was <laughs> a very good <laughs> description. Thank you. All right, let's talk about shapeshifters. Why don't you tell us your science fiction pick for this one? So this was one I hadn't read. Um, we kept talking about them when we were discussing the show, and every single one that we came up with was more fantasy. And so I did a little research, and I found Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, uh, which came out in 1980. Um, yeah, right? Uh, I was alive, but hey. Um, <laughs> but it was, it's, it's got like kind of like a very X-Files storyline feel, but, you know, remembering that the X-Files came out you know, 13 years later. Um, there are two main characters. It is Doro, who is like this ancient sort of, almost like a spirit or a, some sort of ancient being, not quite a human. Uh, he is a shapeshifter in that he inhabits a host body. And that's no good for the host because he kicks them out and they die. So like once he chooses a new body, that's it for whoever was in there originally. Um, and he kind of, he's been around forever. I think is is the idea. And then there is Anyangwu, who herself is a shapeshifter, but she is different in that she physically changes. Like, she can change herself into different people, into animals. Like, she can change her form. Um, and she's also a healer. She can heal herself if she's injured. She can heal others with a kiss. Um, she's not as old as Doro, but she's been around for quite some time. And they sort of, like, they're shapeshifters. They're sort of, like, magic powers, you know, and they don't really know anyone else like them. So 
when they finally meet up, it's exciting but also scary because they they could it could go horribly wrong, and if they were enemies, it would be bad for them. And also, um, like Doro is he's like this sort of morally ambiguous character. He's not really a villain, but he kind of is. But he has a really tragic backstory, so you almost feel bad for him. But now, in the present, he wants to make a whole world of people like them. He wants to, like, breed shapeshifters. And he thinks that Anyanwu is the person to do it with. He's also been sort of collecting uh, a bunch of other people who have, like, different sort of powers. So, like, again, this is, like, you know, X-Men, X-Files. Kind of, there's lots of X's. Um, and so Anyanwu is not super into it, but he threatens her family and her descendants. Um, and so she's kind of torn as to what she can do. Um, and, you know, he again, he's not great. He's kind of awful, uh, but also very compelling. And, you know, it, it, he's had a tough time and he wants to make more people like him. Like, who wouldn't if everyone else stinks, you know? Um, so, of course, like the best science fiction stories... You know, it's actually an analogy for race and slavery and sexism and abuse and classism. Um, and there are three, three, I think, maybe four, three other books in this series, um, which I would say that I will get to them soon, but I would be lying. Uh, but I, I do have the best intentions. I would like to, to read them. Um, but uh, this one was really fun, and it made me want to go back and watch X-Files uh, and it's called Wild Seed, and it's by Octavia Butler. That book, like, holds nothing back. There was so much. I read it as well, and I felt like I needed to take a while before I got to the rest of it. <laughs> Have you read any of the others? No, I haven't yet, because I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready. But that first book was so good, and I totally agree that when... I read about some of the characters. There's one scene where you meet some of the others. I absolutely, like, the first thing I thought was, oh, they're, like, superheroes in a yeah. way. Except maybe I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want any of them in my city because they're a little bit not necessarily all for keeping the peace. There is, <laughs> there's some danger involved, let's say. Yeah. Um. It's called the Patternist series, but it's it's coming out. They're re-releasing it soon, but I'm I'm the worst guest. I forgot to write this down. I do believe that when they originally came out, this was not the first book. I think yeah. that in re-releasing them, this is the first. But it's kind of like Lonesome Dove, where like that one came out, and then they had like two prequels, and then they called them like the first books, but they actually like Lonesome Dove was the first book. Um, I do believe this one came out later than the other ones. But now, because it's, like, the origin story, I think, there, or or the earliest story, possibly, in the series, it's now being called the first. Yeah, there was some um, conflict, I think, about what the reading order should be. And I think Octavia Butler actually said, and I now I cannot remember what, reading order she declared but i would assume whatever she says to read first you should read first but i also read this one first so i think that was the way it ended up 
being. I okay. think that was what she recommended. So, <laughs> but yeah, lots of confusing information about that series order. Um, okay, let me talk about my, well, it's my science fiction pick, but it's really science fantasy. And it is one of the most bonkers science fantasy books you'll ever read. It's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. And it's very possible you've heard me talking about this book before because I can't stop, won't stop, stop telling everyone everywhere to read it. And I also had the pleasure of interviewing Nikki for an episode of our other show, Recommended, since the last time I talked up this book. And I can confirm that she is a delightful human being. So I just want to talk about her books all day long. So The Prey of Gods was... Nikki's debut novel and it is a novel it is something else the book follows a number of characters they're on a, a separate but eventually intersecting journey as this new psychedelic seeming drug comes onto the market in this near for uh, near future version of South Africa so this is a near future where everyone has a personal bot that's kind of like a smartphone, but way cuter and more pet-like, at least in my mind. And I absolutely spent a lot of the reading experience judging people by how they treated their bot, which ended up making sense later on. And there are so many things happening in this story. It's one part about a brewing war involving demigods, one part about this designer drug called Godsend and its effects on people. There is a shape-shifting element here with Godsend, and the first instance of it happens with a couple of teenage boys, one of whom is a character whose path we're following. And I don't even know if I could properly describe what happens to them. So you're just going to have to read that section where there's shape-shifting of a kind yourself. It's also one part about these personal bots and a shift in their relationship with their human overlords, let's call them. So we've got all these things fixing to happen. And then we've got these characters. There's that teen boy who's dealing with all of these expectations around becoming a man. There's a young Zulu girl who's a village outcast. And she goes through horrible, horrible things. There is child harm in this book, please note. There's also a pop star diva who's struggling with who she's become, her identity. She's a bit of a hot mess. And there's, there's also a politician who's always wanted to choose a different, more glamorous path, but is under the thumb of his mother. And then, of course, there's Sydney. And Sydney is this part-time nail technician and ancient demigoddess who is out to reclaim her power over the people and she thrives on fear. She leaves a wake of bodies wherever she goes. But she has to stay low key because she's acting like a regular human being hiding in plain sight by shifting out of her demigod state when she's out in the world. And this is also very useful when she's trying to hunt down her prey who are very unsuspecting when she comes across them. And she's not alone in hiding in plain sight. There are other demigods out there. And this is not happy making for evil Sydney. She is kind of the perfect lurking 
power-hungry monster, and she's just one of the many, many reasons this was one of the most fun reads I have possibly ever experienced. It definitely takes you in a million different directions, but I promise it is all going somewhere, and I found the way it concluded really satisfying. And this is a standalone novel, I should say, which I always appreciate as a break from series. But if you do want more Drayden words, you can pick up either of the two books she's written since we first started talking about her debut. Jen actually recommended Temper in episode 57 if you want to learn more about that book. But I've been talking about The Prey of Gods. Again, that's by Nikki Drayden. I like that, you know, she's low on powers, so she's, like, using them to do nails. I know! Like, she can, like, change people's nail color when they're not watching to, like, look like she's already done their nails or, like, make it a little different if, cause, like, she can tell, like, what they really, really want. So it makes her really good at her job. And, but what she really wants is to be, like, a super evil, you know, demigoddess again. Um, makes me, she's like Veronica in Heathers, right? Like, you know, they wanted to move her into high school out of sixth grade, you know, but her parents, they were worried that she wouldn't make friends, you know, and then, uh, what is it, uh, blah, blah, blah is all I ever do. Now I use my grand IQ to decide what color lip gloss to wear. That's kind of like what she's you know, she's <laughs> dealing with. Um, this very random, random match there, but that's what I was thinking that's of. That's really so. true. I did watch Heather's a lot as a child, so... Um, that might I'm going to have to read that book again and then watch Heather's just so that I can, I watched Heather's so long ago, but I'm yeah. sure that makes 100% sense. And really, we all have to make the money and pay the bills somehow, but yeah. not particularly a great use of your no. powers that are hunted down and gathered in terrible <laughs> ways. <laughs> yes. Also, if you haven't watched Heather's in a long time, you might. You might just want to not watch it again because oh it was boy. it was very disappointing uh, to watch it after having not seen it in like ten years when I used to watch it all the time and realize like mm, a lot of this is not not okay or funny. <laughs> okay, so, skipping it. <laughs> yeah, just remember how much you enjoyed it and it's fine. Um, my next pick is indeed about werewolves. Uh, I kind of was thinking about going with Hot and Badgered, which is like the. Paranormal romance about shapeshifters. It was my first paranormal romance. Um, and I guess it's because they say you never forget your fur. Oh, wait, no, you never forget your first. Um, <laughs> but I decided to go with oh Mongrels, which also includes fur, maybe. Um, it's by Stephen Graham Jones, who rules. I just, I love everything he does. So excited for his new, um, it's a Native American horror book. Uh, coming in April called The Only Good Indians, and I finally just got my hands on it. Very excited about that. But back to the werewolves. Um, so it's it's a different kind of werewolf story because it's a coming-of-age story about uh, a young man. He's 10 when the book starts, and this is one of my very favorite things in books. He's an unnamed narrator. I will pick up a book if there's an unnamed narrator, like, no matter what. And this is one of them. He lives with his aunt, Libby, and his uncle, Darren, um, and his grandfather told him that he was a werewolf and he believes his aunt and uncle to be werewolves. He himself is not a werewolf. Um, he's just kind of like a normal kid, but you know, they are people of color. So they have, 
you know, problems, you know, in society, the way, you know, minorities are treated. They're also poor. Um, and they're on the run a lot. They have to move a lot because supposedly his aunt and uncle are werewolves. And when you eat people or, you know, commit crimes, uh, they frown on that. And so if you don't want to get caught, you go somewhere else. Um, and so kind of as we're going along, it's like, are they werewolves or is this just him thinking that because he was told that, you know, he hasn't changed, but they keep telling him like it's going to happen to him eventually. Um, but you know, maybe he doesn't want it to happen. And like, maybe he's tired of, of running and, and you know, having new friends everywhere he goes because he just wants to stay somewhere. Um, and it's, it's really smart and funny and scary uh, you know, and I like this because um, recently I was thinking a lot about vampires because we were talking about them on the show and all the books a couple weeks ago. And I realized I don't know the werewolf origin story. Like you can trace like, you know, Dracula is, you know, from the 1800s and, and there's, I know all the mythology and like the, the legends before that and Vlad Tepes and all that. But I don't know, like where, I realized I don't know where werewolves come from. Like there's no like one book that you can be like, oh, okay. They wrote a werewolf book, and there you have it. Like, you can do with Dracula. Um, and that's not where they come from, but, like, that's why they're so popular in our imagination. Um, but I don't know their source material. So I would be, I, I'm very curious to find that out. But this book is tons of fun and also explains why you should most definitely uh, change into a werewolf when you're naked. Because <laughs> it's really bad if you don't. Um, and it's just, oh, Stephen Graham Jones, he's so great. Uh, so it is Mongrels, and it is, again, by Stephen Graham Jones. I was going to choose a werewolf book for my fantasy pick, and then I ran out of time. And then I remembered how much I loved Serpentine. So that's my pick. Serpentine is a YA fantasy by Cindy Pond. There are no werewolves in it, unfortunately. But I read this book a few years ago, and I just really loved it. And I think if you enjoy historical fantasy and or mythology, this one might be for you. So the story follows Sky Bright. Sky Bright's an orphan raised as a handmaid in this really wealthy household. She lives in the kingdom of Xia, leading a life mainly focused on being a companion to the daughter in this wealthy family. The only daughter, the only child, so very important. But because Skybright and Jenny are around the same age, and because Jenny is not the evil stepsister type you might expect to find in a story like this, because of the imbalance of power here especially, the two of them actually get along really well. And they're kind of besties, actually, but regardless of their friendship, there is that power dynamic. and. The fact that Skywright's life as a servant and as a friend are intertwined is undeniable and it can be really challenging as well, especially when Jenny's parents are looking for someone to blame, which happens. And this isn't Skywright's only problem by a long shot because one day on, I think it was her 16th birthday, she wakes up and she discovers she's not quite herself. She's grown a serpent's tail overnight. She doesn't know how, when, or why, but she knows it's going to mean a lot of trouble for her if it's discovered. And she thinks she's a monster. 
and she's unable to control her transformation her transformations so she decides to learn more about her origins and how she might have come to be this way and on her journey to find answers she meets a boy so now on top of just simply and also terrifyingly not understanding what's happening to her body she has to hide her true self and keep secrets from her best friend and she's really loyal and this is something she has never had to do in her life before so it makes her really uncomfortable and she can't tell this boy she wants to get close to everything about herself so she's keeping a lot close to the chest and she's really uncertain about where she's going to end up because of what she's going through and whether this is a permanent thing or you know if somebody's gonna find out because she can't control herself so I have a particular love for stories that are sent in ancient China and I really really love the descriptions of the setting and the clothes even though I read this book a few years ago the images of this place of the kingdom and of this household where Skybright is living are like I can I just pulled those images up immediately because they were so memorable and just so beautiful like the clothes and everything else that make this kingdom come to life are described fantastically by Cindy Pond. And it was really easy also to be compassionate and feel for Skybright and her problems. She's growing up alone in this world where servants remain servants, where she has one close friend in the world and where being different has really grave consequences. And she's such a responsible, practical person. So of course, randomly growing a tail would seem like a curse. And there's also this aspect of the story where Skybright has to dig into the mythology of who she's becoming or what she's becoming. And I found that part of it really fascinating as well. But my favorite part of the story was definitely the friendship between Skybright and Jen Ni. And more and more, I guess I find myself gravitating toward these stories where young women aren't out to ruin each other, but instead are really supportive of each other. That's not to say that these friends won't in unintentionally mess up or put each other in danger because that happens whether you care about somebody or not. And especially in this story. So it's really wonderfully told. This is the first book in a duology. And if you're familiar with Cindy Pond's work, you might already know that. The Kingdom of Sha was also the setting of an earlier duology, which is the Phoenix series, and that starts with Silver Phoenix. So if you enjoy reading different series set in the same kingdoms or worlds or whatnot, you can also check out Cindy Pond's earlier duology, as well as the Serpentine duology, which is completed. And again, I've been talking about Cindy Pond's Serpentine. So if you could shapeshift into anything what do you think you would want it to be oh my goodness that's a really difficult question if i could shapeshift into anything it would probably be does it have to be a real animal or can yeah. it be like a myth it yeah. has to be real no it doesn't have to be real okay then i would definitely shapeshift into a Either a dragon or a unicorn. Something that flies. A dragon or a unicorn. Maybe a dragon. Yeah. I think I would do a dragon. Because because uh, a unicorn that flies is a pegasus, right? That's right. A pegasus. Yeah. You are correct. <laughs> that is the actual word for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's my limited unicorn knowledge. 
But I feel like dragons have more, like, flexibility, so I yeah. could, like, I don't know, fly into a cave system or something like that, or maybe like even... What? Like a dragon X-Wing. Yes, exactly. Or maybe I can breathe underwater, too, because who says dragons can't breathe underwater? Yeah, I never <laughs> thought about that. What about you? Oh, a cat. I think I'd want to be a cat. Yeah, I'd want to be a cat. Or Phoebe Waller Bridge, one of one of those. <laughs> That's definitely. I don't know about being a cat because I just get into a big fight with my own cat, and that would. <laughs> I would be the loser there. I I have uh, embarrassingly spent a lot of time watching those videos where they have the cameras from the point of view of the cats, like they tie them around their necks and like they go oh outside and like visit people and stuff. I just I love that like viewpoint. <laughs> I just I haven't like, seen cats. those. Oh yeah, like they put it on their collar and some of them like just run around the house but some of them go outside and like visit other neighbor cats and like it's all from their point of view because it's like on this little camera right under their chin. So it's pretty funny. I've obviously been watching too many dog videos. I'm a traitor. <laughs> I'm a traitor. Well, on that note, <laughs> that ends our show. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Liberty, for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And you can email us, as always, at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Please do review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us, and we love to hear from you. You can find us online. Where can our listeners find you, Liberty? You can find me on Instagram at FranzenComesAlive. And you can find me on Instagram as well at Williams. That's S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Thank you for listening. Bye.